It's always good to be in the house of the Lord, worshiping uh, together with uh, his people. It's always a privilege for me to come back here uh, to Covenant and uh, to enjoy our worship uh, of our great God together. Our scripture this morning is found in the book of Exodus, chapter 14. It's a fairly lengthy uh, passage, but I'm going to read uh, the whole thing, a story that is probably familiar uh, to most of you. And uh, as we do that, may I ask you once again to rise for the reading of God's word. Exodus chapter 14, this is what God says. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before Pihahiroth, between Migdal and the sea. You shall camp in front of Baal Zephon, opposite it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, They are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them, and I will get glory through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people, and they said, What is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made his chariot ready and took his people with him, and he took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. Then the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them camping by the sea beside Pihahiroth in front of Baal Zephon. And as Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. And as for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. And as for me, behold, I will harden the heart of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will, be, I will get glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am or when I get glory through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. And the angel of God, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and there was the cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. 
Thus, the one did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, so the waters were divided. And the sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Then the Egyptians took up the pursuit, and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen, went in after them into the midst of the sea. And it came about at the morning watch that the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. And he caused their chariot wheels to swerve, and he made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, Let us flee from Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots and their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal state at daybreak, while the Egyptians were fleeing right into it. Then the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them. Not even one of them remained. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day, from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And when Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading of his word. You may be seated. Has God ever abandoned you? I don't think I've ever felt the presence of God more strongly than when I first decided to go to seminary. God's presence was manifested in many different ways. I had friends who assured me that they recognized God's calling in my life. And even people that I didn't know would come up to me and tell me that they thought that I had the gifts to go in to the ministry. Then uh, one night I remember my in-laws calling us and asking if they could come over and visit with us. It was a Wednesday night and they normally went to uh, Wednesday night prayer meetings so we knew something was up. I hadn't told them about my plans to go to seminary because I didn't think they would approve. I was already educated about two years beyond my intelligence. Uh, yet when they came, they came specifically for the purpose of telling me that they too recognized God's calling in my life and that they thought that I had the gifts to go into the ministry and they just wanted me to know that if it was my desire to go to seminary that I had their blessing and their financial support. Wow. Wow. I never thought that God would talk to me through my in-laws. That was stranger to me than the donkey speaking to Balaam. (laughs) And then we put our house up for sale. And it sold the very first day. 
In fact, I was out in the yard putting up an open house uh, sign, and a young couple drove up and said, we know it's early, but can we just walk through the house real quickly? Fifteen minutes later, they came out and made a full-price offer on the house. And he was a doctor, so I knew that he could afford it. God, God was with me. And then finally, the great day came when we got ready to move uh, to Jackson, Mississippi to begin uh, my seminary career at Reformed Theological Seminary. We loaded up the U-Haul trailer and we took off rejoicing all the way. And then two miles south of Eudora, Arkansas, which is four miles this side of nowhere, God abandoned me. He just took off. Now you see him, now you don't. What happened was that the trailer had a flat tire. And they didn't give you a spare to change yourself. You had to call the nearest dealer and get them to come and change the tire for you. Remember, this is the day before cell phones. So I had to walk back to Eudora, call the dealer who was in Lake Village, who informed me that he was there by himself and he wouldn't be able to make it for at least four hours. Then I walked back to the car. The temperature was in the 90s. Susan was uh, pregnant uh, with our second daughter and feeling miserable. Uh, Sarah was four-year-old. Sarah's our oldest daughter. And she was whiny. And even the dog got nasty. (laughs) So for four hours, God abandoned me alongside the road two miles south of Eudora, Arkansas. He just took off. Now you see him, now you don't. Has God ever abandoned you? Now maybe my experience seems a little trivial, but what about the experiences of an Elizabeth Elliot, the widow of Jim Elliot, the martyr? When she graduated from Wheaton College, Jim Elliott told her that he loved her. But he followed that up by saying that he thought God had called him to be single so, so long. In spite of that disappointment, Elizabeth Elliott went to Ecuador where she started translating the Bible for a tribe known as the Colorado Indians. And when she got there, she was the only white person in the whole tribe. And she thought it would be impossible for her to find an assistant who knew Spanish and and, uh, Colorado and at the same time was willing to work with a white woman. But God provided someone in a very short time by the name of Macario. Three weeks later... Macario was murdered. Where did God go? In spite of that, Elizabeth Elliot continued to work very hard on the translation of the Bible, and she made significant progress. But nine months later, she went on a trip to Quito, the capital city of Ecuador. And while she was gone, someone broke into her house and stole all of her translation materials in spite of the fact 
that many prayers were offered. Those translation materials were never recovered. Nine months of work was just down the tubes. Where was God? Now you see him, now you don't. Well, in spite of that disappointment, Elizabeth Elliot's dream of marrying Jim Elliot came true. This is five years after college and after Jim had first told her that he loved her. But 27 months later, Jim Elliot was martyred. He was killed by the Auka Indians. Elizabeth was devastated. She felt totally abandoned by God. She came back to the United States thinking she would never marry again because she couldn't conceive of ever loving someone as much as she had loved Jim Elliot. But God brought a man into her life who she did love as much as she had loved Jim. And then shortly after they were married, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And she had to watch this big, strong man who had been a professional baseball player, a golfer, a tennis player. She had to watch him suffer and just waste away day by day until he died. Where was God? Neither Elizabeth Elliot or I would question whether God exists. We know he's there. The question is where? Why does he abandon us? And why doesn't he seem to care at certain times? Well, this is the same question that the children of Israel were asking when they were caught between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea. God was real to these people. They had cried out to God in their bondage. And God had heard their prayers and he had brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. God was with them, even in a visible way. They had a pillar of cloud that led them by day and a pillar of fire that guided them by night. And God cared for them. Not only did God bring them out of Egypt, but He gave them all of the Egyptians' riches to take with them. And he was leading them now to the promised land and really taking them the easiest way to get there. Look back in chapter 13, verse 17. It says, Now it came about when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and they return to Egypt. The way by the land of the Philistines was closer, but it was also heavily fortified. So God was actually taking the children of Israel the easy way to the promised land. He was with them. He cared for them. But suddenly circumstances changed. Pharaoh changed his mind. And he decided to chase after the Israelites and then he caught up with them as they were backed up 
to the Red Sea. They were caught literally between the devil and the deep blue sea, or in this case, the deep Red Sea. But naturally, the children of Israel had just seen the great power of God exercised on their behalf when God sent the ten plagues upon the Egyptians. So naturally, they just calmly waited to see what God would do to the Egyptians this time. Right? No. No way. Immediately, they assumed that God had abandoned them and that he didn't care for them anymore. Don't you just love the the sarcasm in verses 11 and 12? Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness? What, What was going on here? Just this. They had the wrong perspective. They didn't see things as they really are. They assumed that adverse circumstances were evidence that God had abandoned them and that he didn't care for them anymore. Just like us, right? As long as things are going well in our life, we know that God is with us, that he cares for us. But at the very first problem, at the very first adverse circumstance, we assume that God has abandoned us and that he doesn't care for us anymore. That's what happened to me two miles south of Eudora, Arkansas. But... Moses had the right perspective. Moses understood that adverse circumstances are just an opportunity for God to show his stuff and to reveal his great power on behalf of his people. Look how Moses reacts to the very same adverse circumstance that made the rest of the Israelites throw up their hands and give up. In verse 13, Moses said to the people, Do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Moses had the right perspective. He realized that it wasn't the children of Israel that had anything to fear. Rather, it was Pharaoh and his army. Because you see, God never abandons his children. He is always present to help in time of need. Let me repeat that. God never abandons his children He is always present to help in time of need. Do you have the wrong perspective sometimes? Do you assume that adverse circumstances are evidence that God has abandoned you and that he doesn't care for you anymore? 
What can help us to have the right perspective? To see things as they really are. To realize that God never abandons his children. That he is always present to help in time of need. There are three things we need to remember to have the right perspective and to realize that God never abandons his children, but he's always present to help in time of need. The first thing we need to remember is that God is absolutely trustworthy. 400 years before this, God had spoken to Abraham and he had told him that his descendants would be strangers in a land not their own. That they would be enslaved and oppressed in a land not their own. But that at the end of 400 years, God would come and bring them out with a mighty hand. And it all happened exactly as God said it would. God had also promised Abraham that his descendants would grow in number. When Jacob went down into Egypt, there were only 70 people in his family. But when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they were over 2 million strong. It all happened exactly as God said it would. When God appeared to Moses and sent him to go to Pharaoh and to deliver the children of Israel, God told Moses beforehand exactly what would happen, how Pharaoh would respond and how God would respond. And it all happened exactly as God said it would. God is absolutely trustworthy. If he's promised something, you can count on it. Later on in Israel's history, God told them that they would go into captivity for 70 years, but that at the end of those 70 years, he would bring them back to the promised land and that they would rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. And it happened exactly as God said it would. Throughout the Old Testament, God had promised a deliverer a Messiah who would redeem his people from Satan and from sin. That this Messiah would be born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, that he would be rejected by men, that he would be put to death, that he would be raised from the dead and exalted above all men. And it all happened exactly the way God said it would be. God is absolutely trustworthy. If he's promised something, you can count on it. This is what was such a great encouragement to Elizabeth Elliot as she went through one adverse circumstance after another in her life. This is her testimony. She says... His promises have been kept. Promises that he gave me years before I went to Ecuador, such as the one in Isaiah 43, 2. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. 
When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God. Promises such as, as thy days, so shall thy strength be. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Fear not, nor be discouraged. My God shall supply all your need in Christ Jesus. The peace that Paul called, the peace that passes all understanding, Paul could write that from prison. She says, I look back and I see the trustworthiness of God. Hath he ever failed thee yet, says a poem by Amy Carmichael? Never, never. You see, Elizabeth Elliot had the right perspective. She understood that God never abandons his children, that he is always present to help in time of need. Because God is absolutely trustworthy and what he has promised, we can count on. The second thing that we need to remember to have the right perspective is that we have been saved to serve God and his purposes, not ours. This is very important. When God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, it was not so that they could all go and do their own thing wherever they wanted to in whatever way they wanted. He brought them out specifically so that they would make sacrifices, so that they would worship him at Sinai. They were brought out of Egypt to serve God and his purposes, not their own. A while back, I remember seeing an interview on television of a young man who had enlisted in the Army Reserves, and he had just gotten notified that he was being called up to active service. And in the interview, he said, if I had known that I was going to be called up to active service when I enlisted, I never would have enlisted. And I thought, huh? I thought the reason that you enlisted was so you could serve your country and defend it. But not so, this young man. Apparently, he had enlisted for the benefits that his country could confer on him, not in order to serve his country. I think a lot of Christians have made that same mistake. They've enlisted in the cause of Christ, thinking primarily of the benefits that God could confer on them as his people, instead of thinking about how they could serve God and his purposes. Many people, I think, think of God as a condiment, like mustard or ketchup that you put on a hot dog to make it better. That, that God is a condiment that we add to our lives to make the hot dog of our life better. But God is not a condiment. God is the hot dog. And we exist to serve him and his purposes, not the other way around. 
Remember, we're talking about a sovereign God here. A God who orders not only the good times in our lives, but also the bad times. Not only the good circumstances that we enjoy, but also the adverse circumstances. And he does that for his own purposes, particularly to glorify himself. Notice in our text three times, beginning in verse 4, it says that he has orchestrated this whole thing about the Israelites being backed up against the Red Sea. He's orchestrated this whole thing to bring glory to himself. He says, thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after them and I will get glory through Pharaoh and all his army and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And then in verses uh, 14, or 13 and 14, Moses said to the people, Do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Excuse me, that was the wrong text. It's 17 and 18. And as for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will get glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I get glory through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. Remember, it wasn't the children of Israel's plan to go the route they were going. It was God who planned for them to be in this situation in order to accomplish his purposes, to be glorified through his people. And God glorifies himself through his people by exercising his great power on their behalf when they find themselves in these adverse circumstances. Listen again to Elizabeth Elliot's testimony concerning this. She says, I realize when I review the story of my life that it is not as I would have predicted it or as I would have planned it had I been in charge, but it has been ordered, regulated, controlled by his power and wisdom. The power of the God who coordinates the movement of, we are told by scientists, 200 trillion molecules in a single cell. The God who controls, astronomers tell us, perhaps 200 billion galaxies, who controls the thousands of events that affect my life, your life, and the life of every human being that has ever lived. It is ordered, regulated, and controlled by his mercy. We are not our own. We are bought with a price, ordered also by his love. I have loved thee with an everlasting love, He said, therefore, with great mercy will I draw thee. Elizabeth Elliot had the right perspective. She understood that her purpose was not to serve herself, but rather to serve God and his purposes. And she recognized that through this sovereign's God, this sovereign God's ordering of her life, he was bringing glory to himself 
by demonstrating the great love and mercy that he has towards those he has chosen to be his children. And the third thing we need to remember to have the right perspective is to remember that God is strong in our weakness. Our weakness in adverse circumstances simply magnifies the great power of God exercised on our behalf. This is something that the Apostle Paul learned. Three times we are told in Scripture The Apostle Paul asked God to remove a thorn in the flesh that made his life very difficult, and three times God said no. He said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And Paul's response to this is, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I think a modern-day example that illustrates this beautifully is the life of Johnny Erickson Tata. Many of you will recognize that name. Joni, or Johnny uh, suffered a diving accident when uh, she was 17 years old and became a quadriplegic. Quadriplegia leaves people totally dependent upon others. A quadriplegic can not hardly help themselves, much less other people. And yet, Johnny's life is a testimony to the fact that God could take even a quadriplegic, a person who couldn't help herself, and use her in a mighty way to bring other people to Jesus Christ and to be a comfort and a help to other people suffering disabilities such as hers. She says in her autobiography, Circumstances have been placed in my life for the purpose of cultivating my character and conforming me to reflect Christ-like qualities. And there is another purpose. 2 Corinthians 1.4 explains it in terms of our being able to comfort others facing the same kinds of trials. Johnny Erickson, someone we probably never would have heard about if she were in full control of all of her limbs, has been able to have a national and international witness for Jesus Christ and help thousands of people suffering the kind of disability that she suffers. And she's been able to do that not in spite of her weakness, but because of her weakness. Because God's power is made perfect in our weakness. When you encounter adverse circumstances, 
why not try to have the right perspective? Try to see things as they really are. Adverse circumstances are simply an opportunity for God to show his stuff, to demonstrate his great power on our behalf for his glory. Remember that God is absolutely trustworthy. Remember that we have been saved to serve him and his purposes, not ours. And remember that God is strong in our weaknesses. Now, I have to qualify the main point of my sermon, which is that God never abandons his children, that he is always present to help in time of need. There is one child that God did abandon. In Psalm 22, David cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But David was overreacting, just as we often do in adverse circumstances. God never forsook David. God never abandoned David. In this case, David was speaking prophetically. A thousand years later, Jesus would cry those same words. But in Jesus' case, it wasn't overreaction. It was a fact. At Calvary, God turned his back on his son Jesus and allowed him to suffer the agonies of hell in our place. The only child that God has ever abandoned was his only begotten son, and he did that because he loved us and cared for us so much. Is this the kind of God who would ever abandon us and leave us helpless? This is the kind of God we have. A God who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all. And because of that, we have the assurance that God never abandons his children, but is always present to help in time of need. The missionaries of the China Inland Mission had this perspective. In one of their homes in Shanghai, they had a motto hanging on the wall that said, The sun stood still, the iron did swim. This God is our God forever and ever. You see, they remembered how God had exercised his great power on behalf of his people in adverse circumstances in the past, and they looked to him to do that for them in the present and in the future. Shouldn't that be our perspective? The Red Sea parted. The sun stood still. The iron did swim. This God is our God forever and ever. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, when 
we read about this weak faith that your people have had in the Old Testament. We marvel at it, and yet, Father, we're guilty of that same thing. How blessed we are to have a God who orders and regulates our lives out of love and mercy for your own glory. Thank you, Father, for being so patient with us, your wayward children. Father, strengthen our faith. Give us a desire to be willing, most of all, to live lives that bring glory to your name. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.